0: civilized man
1: took it in the guts barry all
2: you've got to do now is find the Australian help the death Three simple questions. Three quick And you today? go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. Hi, Annie here for Showreel. Since we have been caught up in a pandemic, staying at home and really considering our own small worlds, so I thought I might break open a piece I collected at the beginning of the year at the Australian International Documentary Conference. It is an excerpt from a presentation by. Robin McNicholas from Marshmallow Laserfest, an ex uh, XR producer. It gives an insight into the burgeoning immersive tech industry which affects our media future and is riding the back of the new cultural literacies inspired by the net. We open with an introduction and, and we'll go on to an example of what this early adapter company is doing.
0: It is fantastic to have someone like Robin coming to speak to us today. Robin is one of the most well-regarded uh, XR producers in working in globally today, so we're really, really lucky to have him. Um, I'll just tell you a little bit about Robin, and then I'll invite him to the stage. And as I say, please ask questions through the app, and I'll be um, calling on you later for about um, about half an hour. We'll have a Q&A at the end of the um, presentation. So, co-founder and creative director of the award-winning creative studio Marshmallow Laser Feast, Robin has directed a myriad of XR experiences, large-scale installations, and live performances. Marshmallow Laser Feast is a London-based experiential studio working at the intersection of technology, art, and science, always looking to create experiences that immerse and amaze audiences in unexpected ways, MLF employs a wealth of creative disciplines, from photoreal virtual reality to robotic performance and real-time mapping to push boundaries, redefine expectations, and excite audiences worldwide. So here to excite us, I'd like to invite Robin McNicholas to the stage.
1: (laughs) That is quite an introduction. Thank you very much for having me here. Firstly, just to clear things up, under the uh, title of Master and XR Extraordinaire, or have you? I represent a, a collective. I represent a, a, a group of very, very talented uh, producers, uh, fundraising experts, <laughs> um, as well as um, a, a creative team that have been involved uh, for a number of years. So, I, I'm represent a part of the industry that relies on the the team in the hive mind uh, it's very much an individual here but we're we're a collective i'm going to give you a kind of overview of what what we're doing and try and explain a bit about this xr scene that's emerging i also want to talk about some of the troubles there that we've been faced with that the scene is faced with on a whole and it's going to be an experiment in time management as well, because I've got a heck of a lot of slides to get through. By the end of it, I hope that you'll get some sense of what we're driven to um, to do. Some A better sense, some of you probably are uh, practitioners in this, this field, but um, exposing some of the audience trends and, and, and different behaviours and opportunities. And as well as that... Um, Exposing just new, fresh snow, uh, new ways of, of telling stories that are uh, applied uh, definitely to the documentary sector, even though, uh, from my standpoint, we, we stand aside from that. But I'm hoping that you'll be able to pick out relevant aspects just from a storytelling perspective. So this overview, if, if the... Uh, yeah, here we go. Um, Our background is traditionally TV and film, but we went very quickly into light installations and live music. And so lots of the work that you see behind me is um, multidisciplinary in terms of working with technology, like um, very clever creative coders and robotics experts, as well as... um, uh, Effectively having a primary focus on, uh, on, on visual, real-time interactive visual, um, live experiences. And this really has, um, it's, it's surfaced in all kinds of different ways. And it's quite hard to make sense of if you see it as a collection of work there. Um, but, but what I've done is tried to break it down. And um, ultimately, much like this guy here, are... Uh, our uh, addiction is to just get an authentic response out of the audiences. That's, that's what we're driven to do. Um, like I mentioned, TV and film originally was my training, and I met lots of the team. Our studio manager is um, from, from film art department, our finance officer, again, is from the film industry. And the industry... Um, that we're in at the moment requires that kind of expertise where people just have to think on their feet. And um, what's different is we've been catering for things, mostly in a three-dimensional context, so less about a 2D screen, pulling things out of the screen, in fact, into the, the, the live space. And what's interesting is there's new s- storytelling techniques uh, to employ in this space. Um, effectively we can start to really celebrate the cross-pollination of industries. So the emergence of the web, computer games, uh, theatre, film, music, architecture and design. There's all of these crossover points which is where we kind of lift from. And lots of the teams that we build, because each project is different with a bespoke team, it tends to be. And so we we compose these teams in an effort to create a live experience from a real crossover And this what's made our work um, feel internally interesting is that each time we're engaging in the work uh, we're working with experts in a field that generally we we know nothing about and as a result we're learning uh, everybody on the team is learning a load and that does something, it really, as well as the unique audience experiences that we've started to recognize in, in moving people in, uh, in ways using immersive tech, um, there's also this sense of like, geez, I never in a thousand years would be, imagine that I'd be working with a, a food expert or a crystal expert or, or what have you. Um, Along the way, we've, we've been involved in this term XR. We've been involved in lots of VR, AR um, experiences. Generally, they've involved physical interfaces in a live, uh, live element. And increasingly, they're shared experiences. <clears throat> Originally, through technological constraints, these were quite uh, solitary experiences. But we've always recognized that we can connect people and... Most recently, we're interested in connecting people free from the constraints of, of geography. Um, you can connect audiences in different ways with, with wonderful things like the Internet. Along the way, <clears throat> what our primary goal is to, to do in, is to um, promote and um, get our own IP out there into the world. And projects like In the Eyes of the Animal, Hugger. Uh, A Colossal Wave and Sweet Dreams are projects that uh, are living ecosystems. They're story worlds where we have built them and toured them and taken them to... They tend to show their face at film festivals first, um, but then they find other... They reach other cultural institutions generally. And um, I'll break those down a bit more in a little while. So the the projects tend to involve a live element, as I mentioned. More often than not, they're multi-sensory, so things beyond just audiovisual, and immersive storytelling. Now, in terms of immersive storytelling, this is a real challenge because we're learning on the job as well. Sometimes these are incredibly simple narratives. In other guises, we're really trying to push how to tell branching narratives and things like that like breaking things down into categories the immersive so- storytelling aspect is is really quite curious just the other day we were talking about how to tell how how to deliver music without any any sound through people's feet and it was it was a nice thought experiment really about removing people's shoes their socks and playing music through different sensory <laughs> robotics and things like that and it's Uh, it's often um, in these small conversations that seem quite preposterous that they they actually work their way into the experiences. So this experiential aspect or XR, XR is this umbrella that is is, um, being used at the moment. It kind of always involves this notion of mixed reality and so with mixed reality this exposes some really nice Potential, when we're dealing with physical and virtual, basically, is one aspect that uh, separates the XR scene to any other in in that we can really play with this liminal space. And that has really supercharged us, and we're very, very excited about um, the prospects of telling stories where things that manifest virtually can then cross over into a physical manifestation. It's really quite a curious field.
0: Hi, I'm Judith Ehrlich. I'm the director of the film, The Voice Who Said No, Draft Resistance in the Vietnam War. I'm really pleased to be here on 3CR. I'm an old listener-sponsored radio producer myself and worked at the first listener-sponsored station in the world, KCSA, Berkeley, part of the Pacifica Network. So good work. Keep it up. Thanks.
2: You're on Show Real with Annie. We are listening to part of a presentation given by Robin McNicholas from Marshmallow Laserfest, an XR producer given at this year's Australian International Documentary Conference. He is telling us about developments in XR and immersive environments.
1: Uh, the attention span, conversations about how we engage in the world is interesting, and what we've learned is that part of that new way of communicating, latching onto technology, is we can... Use multi-sensory aspects to main vein too and dial into that uh, visual vocabulary, and dial into the hive mind. Um, we have our idea, we have a multi-departmental filter that is then put into the production that ultimately ends in the live experience. But there's all kinds of feedback loops that go on. And it's extraordinary how um, internally we have this engine that just constantly critiques. Um, usually, the, the the crit sessions are brutal as well, where our own critics um, and, and generally are making work for each other. That that's how MLF operates. And um, generally, what we've learned is that it should be holistic. It should be um, it, it, we should embrace the fact that everything is connected. Now, all these. Cross disciplinary opportunities are there. So, lighting departments can speak to sound departments much more, that in turn can speak to the projection department. And the projection department can utilize all the new tools that have emerged from the computer game industry. Uh, We we don't even play computer games, but we use the tools to create computer games all the time. And what's interesting is that the technical input often informs the creative, and the creative often informs the of technical. It's, it's, there's a lot of cross-pollination going on. Uh, recently, we've been working with the BFI. Over the last three years, we've been working for them, and it, what's extraordinary there is that developing narratives with uh, the BFI, the British Film Institute, is useful for us because we're learning tons about how to properly create narrative, how to build characters, how to work in a traditional script, writing Com, uh, uh, in a script writing way, and at the same time being torn apart on, on, on the stories that we present. But in exchange, we, uh, we um, share new ideas of how we'd, uh, we'd take traditional conventions and reappropriate them for the experiential. And so there's, there's lots of really quite interesting um, narrative developments with when script meets UX and when storyboards and animatics meet script and things like that. In order for us to execute our work, it has to be what we call turnkey, so it has to be robust. And that's another problem that is plaguing the XR. You know, you can make a wonderful production, but if it fails on the first 20 people that have gone through, what what are you going to do? This is an example, in the eyes of the animal, of how we were approached by abandoned normal devices, a festival... Abandoned Normal Devices is a really pioneering experimental festival uh, from Manchester and Liverpool and in, in the UK. And they approached us with a space. At no point did they say, We want a VR experience. They said, We've got a forest. And Andy Goldsworthy exhibits in this forest, tr- traditional sculptor. And theatre performances uh, carried out in this forest. What do you want to do? Uh, they didn't have much budget. And originally, we were working, as we do all the time, I should have explained, all the time, part of this double horse scenario, we've, we've got an R&D process going on. So a government-funded R&D, as well as, um, com- there's always a commercial thing going on, just uh, as, a, uh, as a means to survive. Um, But in this case, we were doing an R&D project on drones. And so initially, in the eyes of the animal, was this, this was the initial idea. We had flying puppets, flying microphones, flying speakers, flying lights that would visit people as they went through a hike in the forest. So that's where initially we set out. But as it emerged, one of the flying things that we were looking at was a flying LIDAR system. And lidar is a, a architectural tool. You use it to scan scan uh, environment. If you're going to build a bridge, whack out the lidar, and it'll give you this really high definition 3D scan of a space. Now, from a uh, documentary setup, you know you can scan all kinds of environments. And um, what we our approach was to take this very sterile, super accurate scan down to submillimeter accuracy of, of the forest and then abstract it. And through this, these techniques we realized well, you know, f- through different abstractions we can tell a story so we looked at the way different sensory perspectives basically. We looked at the uh, what it would be like to see that LIDAR scan as a midge and then as a frog and then as a A dragon, sorry, a dragonfly, then a frog, and then an owl, and that was how we ended up developing in the eyes of the animal. That had um, this was quite early in the VR kind of second wave. We embedded the VR headsets into these, so they became a design piece as well. And visitors who stuck their heads inside became almost performers, part part of the overall uh, festival experience the most engaging thing that we got out of this was when hikers, who had no idea the festival was going on, would stumble upon these that were dangling from a tree and wonder what on earth was going on. And and there you'd get your authentic um, feedback uh, about the the work. It looked like this inside. Um, And so we spent a lot of time working with um, scientists to understand how best we would treat the work, like a frog, for example, mostly sees things moving horizontal, so that was one of the focuses there, and communicates through sound. And it exposed loads of new opportunities of how to put people in, in, in the perspective of, of these animals. And we've stuck with that. And um, the evolution of this particular project has really evolved. We took it to Sundance, big old bang of the drum there trying to meet new people we met lots of the xr scene where everyone at that particular time was just trying to make sense of what to do with these things and you saw a real spike in 360 films being made projects such as uh clouds over sidra uh, Gabo aurora's work emerged and um Love them or hate them, the um, storytelling of those VR films, the 360 films, um, were really quite nice early examples of, of just rethinking how you could tell a story uh, in, in a so-called immersive setting. What we were doing was using other things like scent and touch at that time and thinking, geez we can't put all our eggs in the VR basket because, as it's acknowledged, they're the segue for the face. They're slightly dorky. How do we get more people through? And so In the Eyes of the Animal, it exists not only as a VR, but we've, we've projected it. Um, it. It tours as a uh, projected work um, that surrounds sound and, and uh, a full dome. We've ported it to all these different uh, types of um, display uh, as a as a result of that initial body of work, and we had this kind of we have this master asset. I think one of the benefits, which is totally accidental, but we've stuck to it, is that that lidar scan gave us much higher resolution than we'd ever need for or, or that's possible to show in a VR headset. So we've still got this like hyper IMAX version of it waiting in the wings, ready for when the Technology matures. Um, it also exists as an app as well. And so, and, and we, we built a website. So, it's really at this point that we recognize that these are windows into different story worlds and that they can, much like computer games, uh, evolve. You know, you shoot a film, you lock it, you distribute it. That's it. In the case of XR, and in the case of what we're making, we create, we, we create an installation, we show it, visitors come, we go, oh my god, that failed, <laughs> we've got to fix it. Um, and, and so much like how computer games work, there's a launch and then there's this living adaptation as we hone it in and we're able to uh, refine it accordingly um, based on live user-generated feedback. And one of the key questions that we're asking is can we connect people uh, to nature through things like VR? Now, it's so preposterous in that using all this technology, you know, it's a very difficult challenge to um, approach an urban setting and say, hey, you should really consider the natural world. The- Just to clear things up, in the eyes of the animal, in its original setting in the forest, we, was magnificent. But most of the audience, uh, uh, we, get, we get to that audience through, um, uh, through urban settings. And, uh, th- and, you know, there's no question that the connection to the natural world is, is one that everyone is, is passionate about and, it, and feels as though they need to do something about it. But it's strange to use cover people in, in tech in haptic backpacks and things like that. Um, And on the surface, it's it's the very opposite of of connecting people to the natural world. However, there's the the effect emotionally uh, that we've seen on on, uh, audiences as people have engaged in in the work, we start to um, latch onto that and and realize that uh, opening up conversations in urban settings is, is really important. And along with that, apocalyptic messaging, such as the world is on fire, um, especially um, in an Australian um, uh, city that's been recently affected by uh, such horrific conditions, um, is that we feel driven to connect people uh, to the natural world. And we feel driven to expose the similarities to expose the fact that we're living ecosystems as well. And things like VR have really enabled us to tell those stories and, and um, bypass the eyeballs and, and look at how, as living organisms, uh, oxygen threat flows through our bodies and how uh, CEO2, where does the human being begin and where does it end?
2: Well, that's it for Cheryl this week. Tune in next week for more moving image stuff. Keep safe until then. I can see clear.